Loose ball. Ewing goes up. The basket counts. He gets it over to the doctor. Tie ball game. Here's a shot, Julius. He, he scores! He scores! Anthony for three. Bang! That one goes down, and the game is tied! Here's Durant moving on Tucker. He turns, he shoots. Yes! Talking Knicks, Nets, and all things across the association, this is Pick and Pod on WFUV Sports. Welcome back to Pick and Pod, WFUV's NBA podcast. My name is Tyler Hu. Today I'm joined by Ben Oppenheimer and Chris Percyinen. We got Eli Keeler on the sticks behind the scenes. We had a long weekend this past weekend. We got an all-star weekend. We got a lot to talk about here and there. But most importantly, it was President's Day weekend. How, how's everybody doing? How are you guys doing? How do you guys spend your President's Day weekend? Um, I, uh, I, I watched the dunk contest. Um, I uh, watched a bit of the all-star game. And, uh, of course, I think, uh, as millions were, I was uh, very impressed by Mac McClung. Um, and... Uh, um, my, my President's Day weekend was, uh, was like a basketball day weekend. Um, it was MB- NBA, NBA weekend for me. Definitely NBA heavy weekend. Chris, how you doing? Yeah, I'm all right. You know, busy. <laughs> uh, the usual. Been all over the place with uh, Fordham women's basketball. Having a good last game. So that was fun. Um, so, yeah, definitely a basketball dominated last little bit for me, too. Um also watched the NBA All-Star Weekend festivities. Definitely got to talk about those uh, here on the show. Um, and I'm also definitely excited to talk about kind of looking out to the rest of the NBA regular season and even to the playoffs. So hyped to be here. Definitely. I'm excited. The second half of the season officially started last night. We got a light, nice little slate of games last night. And then today, obviously, we got Knicks and Nets both playing. But let's start off with a little All-Star Weekend talk. This year's All-Star Weekend was held in Utah. Um, got a lot of thoughts about it. It was a very interesting All-Star Weekend to begin with. But um, what are you guys' thoughts on the whole weekend? What was your favorite event? And what do you think? What do you guys think could change going forward? Well, um, I, I thought, uh, as I said, um, the dunk contest, um, I, I think the theme of the dunk contest and the All-Star Weekend in general, the past two years, I think, um, has really been in decline. Um, and in my opinion, besides, besides this one, um, there hasn't been a memorable dunk contest since Zach Levine and Oladipo in 2015. Um, and then Zach Levine and Aaron Gordon in 2016. Besides that, I can't remember a, a, a notable dunk, uh, dunk contest, uh, whatsoever in, uh, 2017, 2018, 2019. I can't remember anything specific from those dunk contests, but, but this past weekend, um, actually, I think, uh, kept it afloat, uh, for now. Um, and I, I think, you know, that, that's a good thing, but I, I also feel at the same time, um, it's kind of, um, just delaying the inevitable in terms of something needs to change with the format of, of the all-star weekend with the all-star game, um, and, and dunk contests. Um, cause I, I'm just, I'm looking at, um, this, uh, uh, piece of information in terms of the, um, uh, the TV ratings, uh, and Yahoo sports reported that, um, this, this year's all-star game was the least watched edition in history as, as the ratings hit a record low, 
um, and it got lower ratings than um, than the MLB All Star Game from from 2022. It got lower ratings than um, than the than the Pro Bowl, um, and that's pretty bad because I'm a, I'm a baseball fan, I'm a Mets fan, MLB fan, um, but I think that uh, the MLB All Star Game has even worse problems than than the NBA's uh, weekend. And so the fact that it has uh, lower ratings than uh, both the MLB All Star Game and the Pro Bowl shows that something needs to be reformed about about this whole weekend. They might even have to get rid of it altogether because we saw um, Giannis, we saw many players not play at all or, or barely play, um, and they don't want to play hard because they don't want to get injured like like we saw players did on, on Sunday. Um, and so um, I think it's almost like an existential crisis uh, for the whole event right now besides the, the moment of, of levity with um, – with Mac McClung, um, I, I think um, we're kind of uh, in, in very dark times for for uh, the All Star games, not just for the NBA but for other leagues as well. Chris, how are you feeling? Yeah, I think the NBA this year had an issue with All Star Weekend that to me is pretty straightforward uh, mm-hmm. to address. They're half in, half out with a philosophy that they're beginning to take. Yeah. What is that philosophy? Do I like it? The philosophy is what we saw in this year's dunk contest. Celebrate the art of dunking. Mm-hmm. So it's right. not just about chasing the biggest star talent, because right. we know they don't really have a big interest in doing the dunk contest anyway. We saw LeBron James never did it, mm-hmm. and a bunch of other of the best have kind of followed suit. So John Moran yeah, mentioned John, that he's yeah. never going to do it. He's hinting yeah. at it. He keeps hint- hinting so at it. So <laughs> you see the NBA take a different direction. Mm-hmm. And I liked this direction. To celebrate the art of dunking, they enabled Mac McClung, not on an NBA roster, to participate in the right. dunk contest. Now, you can also say that this only happened because no NBA stars <laughs> with enough juice to their name yeah. were willing to participate. But I think everyone enjoyed the outcome. Right. And so this can be a lesson to the NBA that they can look to with the three-point contest and maybe even the skills contest. And, and what that would be is look at what you did with the dunk contest and apply that to the three-point contest. For example, Jason Tatum, Julius Randle, some good additions, mm-hmm. star power right. to the three-point contest. But if we're going to let a G-leaguer do the dunk contest in the three-point contest, where's Damian Lee? Where's Damian Lee from the Phoenix Suns? Where's right. Seth Curry? You know who qualifies in my book? Isaiah Joe, I was about to say one Isaiah of the Joe. best shooters in the Why league. Why isn't yeah. he in there? Or KCP, yeah. another These guy shooting 45%. These guys' names aren't hot enough mm-hmm. to make the three-point contest, right. but as we see in the dunking world, your name doesn't have to be hot for you to put on a show. Right, exactly. And so yeah. even though I liked the product of this year's dunk contest, I think the three-point contest plus the approach to the dunk contest kind of is the blueprint to how the NBA can go about this better going forward. For example, Giannis Antetokounmpo checks in for 10 seconds, checks out. Yeah. That's a spot that could have gone to someone who was willing to play. It's like a James Harden, still Jalen drafted Brunson. a team yep. and then not played, whatever it is. Yeah, right. Harden and Brunson, mm-hmm. both very qualified. And then you look at how it affected the skills competition. You had Drew Holiday along with Thanasis and Alex Antetokounmpo. <laughs> Which is embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> Make the teams, instead of chasing a storyline, right. chase the product. Chase Absolutely. the best three-point shooters in the league competing against each other. Damian Absolutely. Lee, mm-hmm. Isaiah Joe, Kevin Herter. They nailed some of them. Dame right. Lillard was a really good choice because he, he technically is fantastic, so it should be no surprise he won. But I think the NBA can learn a lot from how they went about the dunk contest in kind of a moment of crisis. Right. Uh, 
and apply that kind of happy accident to the mm-hmm. three-point contest, to the skills contest. Do a team of bigs or make Ooh. every team in the skills competition have one guard, one wing, one, one big. big. Yeah. Put Jokic in there. Put Luka in there. Sabonis. We want Trey. We want Domas. Mm -hmm. We want SGA. Mm -hmm. We want Jalen Brunson, one of the most skilled guards in the league. Exactly. But to see, you know, the rookie team, which I thought was a good team. They dropped the ball really badly, though. (laughs) Paolo can't shoot threes. That's his one thing of kryptonite thus far. Jabari can't do anything. Jabari has (laughs) had trouble. He's been effective lately. But he had a lot of trouble to start the year doing a lot of things. Mm -hmm. I think. The NBA should learn from their happy accident with the dunk contest right. and apply that elsewhere. Absolutely. I fully agree with that. I think the philosophy that you're bringing to this, I hadn't thought about this before. Bring Well, obviously, bring the best guys. It makes a ton of sense. Celebrate to the art, art of, of what the competition yeah, the is. The three-point shooting, the skills competition. I really like that. I think that, yeah, the NBA, the dunk contest, you've seen sometimes the dunk contest be that springboard for guys to take that next step get their name on the map. For example, Zach Levine wins back-to-back dunk contests, yeah. rises his way into an NBA star, not because of the dunk contest, but that dunk contest put his name on the map. Right. Aaron Gordon helped Absolutely. put his name on the map. Last year, you saw, I guess you see Obi Toppin, like Obi, Anthony Simons, it was like a small, and, and Simons won 2020. They're smaller names at the time, but now you see Anthony Simons slowly making that star leap. Yeah, You see the dunk contest stars established stars don't want to do it for the risk of getting hurt yeah and that makes total sense it's yeah. disappointing to watch as a fan but it makes total sense i do like the art of dunk dunking idea i think it's really smart and it's, i think it should be wet away like the dunk contest three-point contest skills competition for less established guys but who have been better at those certain skills to put their name on the map and really just show out for a crowd that may not know who they are. Isaiah Joe, I think he's the highest three-point per- shooting percentage in the NBA. Chris, you mentioned him. He could win the three-point contest, put his name on the map, and put OKC on the map. You already see guys like Shea Gilles Alexander, Josh Giddy putting them on the map slowly. Isaiah Joe could become more of a household name via the three-point contest. I think that makes total sense. I do think the All-Star Weekend this weekend, this past weekend, was really underwhelming. I'm not going to lie. I thought it was yeah. one of the worst All-Star if Weekends you look, in recent memory. If you look yeah. right now at the top five and three-pointers made, mm-hmm. Heald is there, yep. Lillard is there, Tatum is there. Right. Yep. But Simons is there and Thompson's there, and neither right. one is in the competition. If you look at the top five and three-point percentage, Brogdon, yep. KCP, Kennard, Joe, Lee. None. None of them were in the Brutal. competition. So I get chasing the star power, but look what happened when you didn't. Right. It's all about the art of the art of this skill, and they failed to do that, and that that's why the ratings dropped. Having it in Utah also didn't help. Obviously, I understand Utah bid for it. They won. I guess they deserve it, but they really dropped the ball with it. Um, just the whole weekend just felt uninspired. The halftime performance with Burna Boy, Thames. <laughs> it was awesome. No, it was phenomenal. Big fan. Um, they, I think 10 out of 10 performance, zero out of 10 crowd presence. The crowd was not, (laughs) they were not interested. They don't understand Afrobeats. They don't know like what Afrobeats are. Great. First of all, great music. They just, they picked the wrong crowd. It's Utah. Like maybe four, four people were cheering along and two of them were players. It's embarrassing. Also it, the elephant in the room is that they celebrated he who shall not be named, um, who's done questionable things in the past, Utah Jazz legend, you guys know, Google, Carl Malone. But it just it just felt bad. It just felt like a terrible All-Star weekend. Just yeah. didn't feel one felt uninspired, two, uncreative. The Mac like the dunk contest was by far the great. best part of yeah. the uh, best yeah. part of the All-Star weekend. 
Malcolm McClung pretty much saved All Star Weekend, but yeah. it just didn't feel good. It felt very uninspiring, boring, boring. boring like the, yeah. and especially the All Star game. You watch the All Star game, there was no intensity. Even you know the fourth quarter Elam ending that was cool because that one All Star game twenty twenty Kyle Lowry's out there taking charges. You yeah. got guys actually trying on defense. It was a yeah. close game. The Elam ending is not what saved All Star. Fred Katz, Knicks beat reporter, um, he tweeted. He's like, he thinks that Elam ending isn't the reason why the All Star break weekend got saved. It's because guys are playing hard. Guys aren't playing hard this weekend. You saw maybe three seconds, maybe I don't know, a minute, last minute of the third quarter. Jalen Brown, and Jason Tatum, Celtics teammates going at each other, getting buckets on each other. That was probably the most fun part of the weekend. It was like of the All Star game. It just felt really uninspired and poorly put together and I hope the NBA learns from this yeah I think uh just just to add to that Tyler I think um uh in in my memory I think just compare this to um the 2016 all-star weekend when they had Kobe's last year and if you remember that moment when it was Kobe and and LeBron mm-hmm. um and then you had you had Drake clapping in the background right. I don't know if you guys remember that that, that with the picture of, with yeah, his jacket yeah, on yeah, yeah. I, I thought that was iconic it's like where is where is that mm-hmm. in in this weekend um or or in the past few few all-star um all-star weekends right um I I think um that that sense of of magic and you know just excitability uh, is is gone it's it's not there um and that's that's why um you know obviously they say that keep doing the same thing and expecting a different resor- result is insanity mm-hmm. um so th- they need to uh change some something up um to to get um a more energetic r- response in terms of audience in terms of viewership but also for the players themselves they should also be enjoying themselves definitely it just feels like a very uh, as you mentioned uninspired it felt like the guys didn't want to be there um just felt like an uninspired product my thought being that maybe the nba all-star weekend i know this is the only sport that does is football they do the pro bowl after the season's over the NBA All-Star Weekend, you saw guys like Steph Curry, Kevin Durant weren't there because of injury. Um, Giannis obviously was injured, so he didn't. He played one minute in the All-Star game. LeBron, injured, didn't want to play. Um, and some guys just don't want to be there. It's very obvious. Yeah, I think maybe maybe it's a, a little bit of a radical change, moving the All-Star Weekend to after the season, like where like what the Pro Bowl does, like before the Super Bowl, for guys who didn't make the NBA championship. If they want to go, they can go play in the and it celebrates guys for the whole year, not for a half year, half season of greatness. Like sometimes, some some years you've seen in the past. I think it was like a couple years ago, Damian Lillard did not make the All Star game, and he went on a tear in the second half. Trey Young, yeah. the year that the Hawks went to the Eastern Conference Finals, missed the All Star game, got snubbed, went on a tear in the second half of the season. It doesn't celebrate guys for their full body of work; it only celebrates them for half a season, and it taxes guys for injuries, missing a lot of time in the in the first half of the season. Like Anthony Davis, fully deserving, did not go to the All Star game. Why? Because he didn't play that many games. But if he plays a healthy second half of the season, he's a guy who fully deserves to be there. So I do think that. The All-Star Weekend is not representative of what the NBA really is, and I do think that they can do a lot to change it. I don't know if they will do it ever, but that's my thoughts on it. But enough of All-Star break. Let's Enough of the boring stuff. Let's talk about, let's move on to a little bit of something interesting. The second half of the season began last night, and tonight is the beginning of the second half of the season for the New York Knicks. Us three, we're all Knicks fans. We're all, 
I'd say we're all pretty excited about the state of the team right now. They're currently 33 and 27, the sixth seed in the Eastern Conference. They made that big trade for Josh Hart, which has paid dividends right away. They're, I believe, three and zero with him. And they traveled to D.C. tonight to begin the second half of the season. They face the Wizards, a team that's fighting for a play-in spot. I'm not sure if they're in the play-in right now, but they are. They're the tenth seed right now. So a tough matchup. The Knicks, I think, they're one and two against the Wizards this year. Tough matchup for the guys, but definitely a fun game. That I'm very, I'm very much looking forward to. How are you guys feeling going forward? Start. Let's start off with tonight's game. How are you guys feeling, Chris? Yeah, I think. That record against the Wizards this season um, is really easily explainable. Mm-hmm. You take a look at how those games have gone. Um, and Kyle Kuzma is pretty much always the leading scorer. Right, at the big end wing. 27 one night, 40 another. Mm-hmm. I covered one of the games um, for WFUV Sports, of, of course, course yeah. at the Garden, where the Wizards came to town. Kristaps Porzingis back in New York City, always a... <laughs> an interesting crowd, yeah. eventful yeah. crowd at those yeah, you games. Could, you could say that. Um, some other Nick returns. Mike Miller, mm-hmm. <laughs> assistant coach for the Wizards. He's with the Wizards now. Interesting. Uh, they have a backup big from Brooklyn, named Taj Gibson. So there was a good amount of returns, but the story that night was Kyle Kuzma. Yep. And it was because he came out and absolutely balled out against the New York Knicks. Mm-hmm. And I've got to say. The reason he balled out was because he was getting whatever he wanted defensively against R.J. Barrett. Right Now, Barrett always tasked with having to figure out a new role every season. Yeah. It's definitely a different treatment from other top picks in that draft. It feels like Zion, Morant, mm-hmm. Garland, Garland were yep. drafted, and their team said, hey, we just invested a really high pick in you. Let's we're going to give you the ball and watch what happens and right. see what we think about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The Knicks made RJ fight for his touches with Randall, with Marcus Morris, mm-hmm. with Alfred Payton, uh, later with Alex Burks and, yep. and other players. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so Barrett kind of has come along a bit differently, and, right. and he's a bit more streaky, I think, as a result of just having fewer reps and, and right. chances to work things out. Mm-hmm. If you ask me, Barrett is going through offensively this season the same struggles that Emmanuel quickly did last season, where right. it looks like at times they have no idea what's going on, mm-hmm. but it's really because they now know what the two correct options are on the play read, right. and they're just lost between which one is the right the one. Written, yeah, This is usually a big valley that results in a peak. And Barrett needs to, while facing these offensive struggles, keep his defense up to par with what we know it can be. He's a six, six and a half, six, seven athletic wing, Mm -hmm. good basketball education, Montverde, Duke, that's Coach K, that's Coach Thibodeau, his Mm -hmm. godfather, Steve Nash. You'd think this guy would have the perfect defensive fundamentals and principles. But to be honest, as someone that catches every Nick game as a reporter of the team, he gets beat backdoor a lot. He gets caught lacking off the ball a lot Mm -hmm. and on the ball if you're quick little ball fake and shoot right over him he doesn't have the response time for that and so he's actually been kind of food for Kuzma this season who's been able to take advantage of the combination of his size and his natural feel for the game against someone like Barrett who's a bit more stiff a bit more I always say like there's a the Paul George and the Jimmy Butler type of wing. It's one is kind of twitchy. Right. One is more stiff. Right. Yeah. Barrett's the more stiff type, like a right. Jalen Brown, like a Barrett. You know, they're they're more upright. Set in their ways. And yeah. so yeah. Uh, Kuzma is so smooth that even if he's not a top defensive wing, he's not one of the top mm-hmm. offensive wings in the league, he's able to give Barrett about 30 points a game every right. time. And so I think the Knicks need to understand that that's been happening all year this year. Right. And either A, do something about that matchup, mm-hmm. or B, make sure they have a plan in place everywhere else to 
produce enough offense to offset that. Maybe the plan is you see what the Milwaukee Bucks did to the Phoenix Suns in the finals. Let Devin Booker score so the rest of the team right. doesn't get a rhythm going and mm -hmm. they struggle in crunch time. Maybe you let Kuzma score tonight and right. try to keep Beal, Porzingis, uh, right. Monte Morris mm -hmm. out of the game. Absolutely. Whatever it is, the Knicks need to stop Kyle Kuzma. Yeah. Ben? Yeah, I think um, it sh should be an interesting matchup. I, th I think we're also uh, forgetting about uh, Bradley Beal. Um, he is actually uh, listed as questionable for tonight. Um, and he's in the middle of a solid season, averaging 23 points per game, 3.5 rebounds, 5.2 assists mm -hmm. in 36 games. He's shooting 52% from the field, 37% from the, th the three-point line. Um, and I, I think um, uh, the, the Knicks right now, um, if some people didn't know this, in the, in the 29 games that they have played on the road, um, they are 17 and 12. Right. Um, and I think that uh, that solid. It's always good to have um, a winning road record, of course, because um, it shows that you're not just um, good at home with the support of the fans behind you, but you can you can undergo the the pressure um, of of the away crowd. Um, and so I think um, the the Knicks uh, this this can be a, a win for them tonight, um, but they they have to uh, compete. Um, and uh, Kuzma, as um, as as you guys agreed, is um, is someone to watch out for. But I also think uh, Beal, depending on on if he is playing tonight. Um, but I think uh, the the Knicks are still overall a better team uh, than the Wizards. They, the Knicks have a better record. Uh, so I'm I think it's going to be uh, potentially a uh, solid win for the Knicks starting. Um, their their post uh, all-star break season definitely i definitely agree with both of you guys i think the most important thing i want to go back to the rj point real quick i brought this up before on one-on-one -on -one about how rj has never had that chance to be that guy one and two he's never had that chance to for a team to build around him obviously chris you mentioned 2019 when he comes in as a rookie they bring in they bring in a bunch of wings and obviously mitchell robinson mitch is already there so the paint's kind of clogged. RJ doesn't have – he's a natural slasher. He's a natural guy who attacks the basket a la Jimmy Butler. Guy yeah. who likes to get to his lane and get to the cup, finish with either hand. And RJ hasn't really been afforded the opportunity to do that. He's had his role change every year. R rookie year, we don't know what's going on. David Fisdale for 20 games, then Mike Miller, then the season gets shut down. You see him more on ball, but he's getting his take – his touch is taken by Julius Randle and Marcus Morris, and we don't really know what's going on. Sophomore year, 2020-2021, the playoff year, fourth seed, he's a 3-and-D wing, guards twos, plays the two next to Reggie Bullock, and you get to see, this is a much more lean, a much more slimmer, more athletic R.J. Barrett. You get to see he his off on and off ball movement was better. That's why he was a much better defender then. His shot was much quicker. And then after that, the year after, Reggie goes to the, the um, to the Mavericks. Evan Fournier comes in. Evan Fournier is a two. RJ has to be moved down to the three. RJ is six 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 seven. Depends, you know, more more on the six six side of things. Not very big, but he's naturally a pretty strong guy. But they tried. I don't know if it was the team or Drew Hanlon, his independent trainer, wanted him to bulk up more to play the three, and it kind of messed up all of his mechanics. Messed up his shot. Looks a little slower. His movements look a little more stiff. He his foot speed's not there really, and that affected both offense and defense. And that's really come to head this season, where his defense is completely 
it's really unfortunate, but it's completely fallen off. And it's possible to come back, but his off-ball movement, Chris, you mentioned it. His, I feel like his off-ball thing has always been a problem with get getting caught lacking on screens, getting caught lacking backdoor. But his on-ball movement, usually he's a really good on-ball defender. Right. He's lost that quickness and lost that that foot speed pretty much to keep up with faster wings. I, I think it has to yeah. do too with his desire to move his feet quickly. Mm-hmm. There are yeah, a lot, you know, I watch these slipping sometimes. Watch these games and then watch the plays specifically over and over again. Right. And a lot of times it's just effort. A lot of times you, I look at some of the the Knicks defensive lapses and uh, last season. So many times uh, the the backcourt would allow players to just sift right into the paint. You know, right. yeah. uh, it, it felt like there was just no one even trying. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. It's the same thing with some of Barrett's struggles to me. To me, it feels like sure he, uh, you know, doesn't maybe is a little too bulked up to to make it for a closeout in time. But right. honestly, I think he has to want to make those closeouts. Absolutely, in time it's an more than thing. anything. Because I, oh, sorry, go ahead. Sorry, I, I was just going to say, I think um, RJ is um, is going through a bit of a identity crisis right now. I right. think he's kind of in an awkward phase. I mean, when he was drafted, um, I, I remember obviously when, when Knicks fans are upset, we didn't get the first pick in 2019. We didn't get Zion or or, uh, or Ja. Um, but I, I think RJ was, old, we always thought that, He's not going to have this jump out of the gym style of play. He's not like Zion, mm-hmm. flashy kind of superstar, but he'll be solid where, um, you know, he'll be able to to be a star. Mm-hmm. Um, and like a jack of all trades, right? Guy, like a right, Jimmy Butler, right? And I think um, right now, I mean, still when you look at um, the numbers in terms of you know from a surface level, he's 22 years old. He's averaging um, 25 and three. Um, I think that that is still solid for you know for his age, but mm-hmm. um, you know we were maybe expecting um, in his fourth season expecting kind of a, a jump. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we um, at, as Knicks fans, as, as people who are um, looking to see him develop, um, I, th- I think um, I I don't know if the, if there's a there's obviously you, you talk about the rookie uh, wall, uh, but he's kind of hit like what I think of. Is kind of um, I, I'm not going to call it the fourth year wall because that yeah. that isn't even an identity thing, crisis in his career, kind of. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. he's kind of just at a um, maybe an inflection point is is the right word where um, he has to um, show that that he can can really be like a solid uh, wing that that we drafted him to be um, and and step up his defense because. Um, that, that's what we we drafted him as. We we thought he'd be great on on both sides of the ball, um, like Paul George, maybe not as a, a, athletic, um, but I I think um, that if he in the second half of the season um, doesn't uh, play more inspired uh, basketball, he may be on the trading block. I yeah. mean, it's it's uh, it, it could happen. Um, I I don't think it's. Um, you know, it's it's a certainty, obviously, but um, you know, I think no one is safe, kind of, on this Knicks roster. I mean, even even though we just got Josh Hart and and Jalen Brunson has been great. I mean, part of the issue, not just with RJ's identity crisis, but I think with this Knicks team in general, is uh, we don't have a superstar. I mean, we mm-hmm. we had that great year where we went into the playoffs against the Hawks. We lost to the Hawks in in 5 games. I, was it 5 games not 6? Five, five, 5 5 games. Um 
And, you know, we were expecting to build on that season and potentially get a superstar down the line. Then we had a really disappointing season last year. We regressed, and now we're kind of sort of back to where we were, so to speak. Um, and so I think, um, you know, I think most people would agree that this Knicks team is not going to win them a championship. It'll probably maybe, maybe at best get them into the second round. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, the, they need to find a path of where where are we going as an organization? Uh, what is our trajectory? Um, because we have some great players. We have a solid culture right now, which is great. We're building a good culture, but we need to to decide, are these the guys that we will build a championship foundation on? Um, and, you know, we'll see from, from RJ, um, from Julius, even though Julius has obviously been older, so he's, he's not – we're not exactly think of him as as like our young prospect, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, but the Knicks in general need to figure out who they're going to be, not just this season, but next season and and beyond. Um, what what our future is? Absolutely. Um, it's it's an interesting conundrum that the Knicks are in right now. Obviously, you add Josh Hart. I do think Josh Hart might be a very big factor to tonight's game. Just real quick, a bigger. He's not a bigger wing, but he's really strong, very good, solid base, and he a plays, good, He plays. He plays like bigger. bigger. Wing. He plays like he's six nine, and he's like six five. The guy's one of the best rebounding wings in the league, arguably the best. I think that him adding him to the equation and no RJ pretty much knowing that now next year his extension kicks in, but he could be traded. He could be moved. Quentin Grimes has really upped his game this year. RJ, we hopefully we get to see a more inspired RJ for the rest of the season. I think that he playing more inspired on both ends of the floor. On offense, I'm not really worried about the efficiency. Just as long as he knows his strengths and weaknesses, getting to the cup more, taking better shots will yeah. help. Helps the flow of the offense. More, I'm more worried about the defensive end. But if we get a more inspired RJ on the both end, sides of the floor, I think that's going to really help us, the Knicks, going forward. I just want to see what your guys' really outlook for the rest of the season is. Right now, they're 33-27, and 6th seed in the, end, uh, in the Eastern Conference, and they have 22 games to go. Or right above the play-in, right above that little weird area, the gray area of the NBA. How are you guys feeling going forward for the rest of the season? Chris, I'm going to start off with you. Yeah, I think the Knicks, you know, definitely going into the season, I saw them as a play-in team. Mm-hmm. I predicted them several, you know, times before the year. Just I was really confident that they would be either the seventh or the eighth seed. Mm-hmm. Um, they actually ended up being a slightly better team right. than I thought, being a kind of a sixth to seventh seed mm-hmm. caliber team. Then, of course, the recent implosion of the Brooklyn Nets uh, and yeah. the Miami Heat struggling a little bit, kind of floating around the middle there. Um, has kind of opened up the opportunity for the Knicks to sneak into that fifth seed at the end of the year. And so I think I would personally project them to probably finish in that number five seed, the number Mm -hmm. six seed, if not. Uh, But I actually think, you know, I'm going to end up wrong about the Knicks participating in this year's play-in. I think that they're going to forego it and, you know, procure a seeding for themselves high enough to be able to avoid it entirely. And, And, you know, when you look at this team, and what they've put into this roster. Um, you take a look at teams around the NBA. Let's, te- let's just do the Eastern Conference. Mm-hmm. Chicago, yeah. Atlanta. Mm-hmm. These teams have put several future unprotected first-round picks into acquiring the rosters that they have today. Those rosters today are worse than the Knicks rosters. The right. Knicks have not put any future unprotected draft picks right. into this roster. They traded one 
draft pick this year it's lottery protected. in a draft in which they have another first rounder. So yeah. they've drafted well quickly. Grimes, mm-hmm. Sims at fifty eight, mm-hmm. um, McBride at thirty four, McBride at thirty six, thirty four, thirty six, Bates at thirty four. Right. Still haven't seen him. Yep. Topping at eight, not really a fit with this coach and the current roster. Mm-hmm. We'll see how that situation plays out. But if you ask me, the vision is really clear for this Knicks team and what they're going to do going forward. They're in a situation now where the wins, any playoff series wins, are house money. They'd be playing with house money. Absolutely. They did not mortgage their future into this roster. And mm-hmm. so the vision to me is incredibly clear. You look at the moves they've been making. They pretty much all line up with the concept of creating cap space in 2024 in that offseason when several notable CAA-represented NBA stars are available when uh, several notable non-CAA-represented NBA stars are available. <laughs> yep. The 2024 offseason is a big one, and pretty much everything the Knicks are doing, every contract they're signing, since Leon Rose has been hired, right. has kind of lined up with them wanting to open up cap space in 2024. If you ask me, they'll be making one more upgrade to the roster this coming offseason, similarly to how they did with Jalen Brunson last offseason. Now, they were interested in Andrew Wiggins. He got locked up by Golden yeah. State, yeah. so they shifted their interest to Toronto's OG Ananobi. Mm-hmm. Um, he didn't go anywhere at the deadline. Right. Ujiri's price a bit too high. So I would expect those discussions to reopen mm-hmm. this summer between New York and Toronto. And when you take a look at New York's roster right now, they've got pieces and picks that they could stand to consolidate with. So I think a, an exchange could make sense there between those two teams. Um, and then you take a look at where that leaves the Knicks going forward. Well, they'd still have sev- all of their own draft picks if they only trade protected ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, they would still have, you know, their young core and quickly Grimes, Barrett. They'd have these guys that they can trade on cost controlled deals and quickly Grimes, Sims. Their their deals are relatively small. They're in a great spot as an organization in regards to their asset allocation and their stockpile of assets. And I think their vision going forward is incredibly clear. I don't think there's any sort of issue with their current roster building. Before the heart trade, there was one player in the rotation over 26 years old, right. and it was an all-star in Julius Randle. Mm-hmm. I think what this team is doing is as clear as it gets. A youth movement with players that come out of college with some experience, but they perceive to have upside quickly. Grimes, mm-hmm. McBride, yep. Sims, the list goes on, right? Mm-hmm. And then veterans that can make pull-up jump shots that they think are leaders off the court. They're going to combine those kind of aspects to their team with an old-style head coach who's going to fight for defense and rebounding. And Mm -hmm. it seems that especially offensive rebounding is something that this front office has kind of targeted. You look at Hart, Robinson, Hartenstein, Sims. Um, Those three, the the three Knicks centers are all in the top ten in the league in box outs per game. Exactly. So – I think this roster is very designed to attack certain competitive advantages, and I think mm-hmm. that the, the the vision going forward for the Knicks is ridiculously clear. Yeah. The front office has laid it out publicly. They've mm-hmm. said, we're going to go with the youth movement. Mm-hmm. Uh, then they went with the youth movement. And it works. Uh, and then they went on an eight-game winning streak after mm-hmm. switching their rotation. Yep. It's like yeah. they're laying out the plan. They're doing what they're saying they're going to do, and then it's going well. Right. So I, I am one of those people that actually doesn't understand the notion of, oh, Leon Rose won't speak publicly. He won't reveal yeah, that's, his plan. That's ridiculous. Uh, the Knicks don't have a plan. The Knicks don't have a direction. You're right. What teams do have, you know, do, do the do the Rockets have a direction because everyone is young there? No. No. They They've been floundering. Popularly badly. seen as the worst landing spot for when Manyama mm-hmm. in terms of his career right. projection. So I think the Knicks have a great direction. I think they have a great roster. Mm-hmm. I think they have a great pile of assets. I'm not sure. What is confusing about that to people at the national level who still claim that they have 
no direction. Absolutely. I think that the no direction part is a very lazy topic. It's a played out narrative. I think that the Knicks, right now, you can say, okay, they're in the sixth seed. They're in the middle of the pack. Sure, they're not like where everybody wants them to be. But I think that this is a very clear, for this roster, this is a very good spot. The sixth seed, Chris, you mentioned that they have a bunch of future assets. The young guys are progressing very well. Obviously, RJ's kind of stalled a little bit, but all, not all hope is lost with him. There's still He's still 22. Heading into that next contract soon, you got Quickly, who's taking a ma- Quickly's taking a big step on both ends of the floor this year. I know you're a big Emmanuel Quickly guy. He's been phenomenal this year. Uh, Quentin Grimes has taken a really big step as a 3 and D guy. He's shown a little bit of juice off the dribble. Great first step. Obi Toppin, obviously, it's an unfortunate situation for all parties involved. Hope he ends the season strong and gets a good landing spot soon. But it's very clear that the Knicks are in a very solid spot. Very solid and will be a very good spot going forward. I'm very optimistic for this the state of the Knicks right now. I think that the Knicks are doing doing everything right and I think that I'm excited for the rest of the season. I want to hear yeah. what you think about their their crosstown neighbors. We're going to that right now. Let's <laughs> yeah. talk about Brooklyn. Let's talk about the team that is in a very weird spot. They blew it up at the, kind of blew it up at the midseason mark at the trade deadline. Obviously, trade away KD, Kyrie. Kind of blew it up. Yeah. They blew it all yeah. up. Even TJ Warren didn't TJ survive Warren. that tear. Bossman yeah. 99 out of there. Jay Crowder in the three team deal. Very interesting. They blew up the superstar core and they still have Ben Simmons. So, yeah, yeah, we can laugh at them for a little bit. But they made a bunch of moves. Obviously, we everybody knows about them. And Mikael Bridges, Cam Johnson, Spencer Dinwiddie, Dorian Finney Smith, bunch of picks. Jacques Vaughn receives an extension to became, uh, remain the Nets head coach after being hired as their interim guy when Steve Nash got fired. They traveled to the Chicago to play the Bulls tonight. Very first of all, they had the weir- they've been had the weirdest season of any team in the NBA this season by far. Um, drama from the get go from the off season, but now it's pretty much vibes and hopefully they stay afloat. <laughs> How you guys feeling about the Nets? Obviously disappointing where they're at, but. What are your guys' expectations for the rest of the season? You, how do you guys well, see this playing out? I, I think, um, Chris, I also want to say I, I agree with you uh, absolutely in terms of the Knicks' trajectory. Com- comparison to the Nets, I think the Nets in the past few years, well, the Knicks have been building up their assets. Mm-hmm. The Nets have tr- they traded everything Mortgaged away. Mortgaged their future. They, they completely – and they. It, what's, what's funny – is they this is a familiar story for them. They did the same thing in the summer of 2013 <laughs> where they traded for for Paul Pierce, Kevin Garnett, um Joe jo- over Joe Jason, Johnson no, that Jason was Terry. Jason Jason Terry. They got uh, Joe Johnson another and deal. Joe Johnson was the year before right. and that was in free agency. Mm-hmm. Um and so they completely that that put them back years. Hold on, in let's not of, let's not forget they traded Gerald Wallace for the pick that ended up becoming Damian Lillard. I want right, to add, right, add on right. a little salt in that's the wound. Right. I forgot to mention that, um, and they completely mortgage away their their future for mm-hmm. that whole group of of old players who who got them a a, uh, a loss versus the Heat uh, in the first round or was it the second round? I think it was first round. They made it out um, the first round once. Yeah, in the second round, same story as this yeah. time. <laughs> right, right, and that's yeah. that's what's um, what's um, crazy is that with with the big three um, that the Nets had. Uh, with Harden, Durant, and, and Irving, I'm sure you guys uh, know this. They played 16 games together, 16 games, 500 Unreal. million dollars in total of, of contracts. Uh, 16 games. They, they had a good record. They went 13 and three, right. uh, eight and eight and two in the regular season, five and one in the playoffs. Um, but they missed a ton of games. Um, they 
I I don't really know if they had uh, if they had any chemistry. They're obviously very talented, but they're also the three of them are very ball dominant. Um, and so that that collapse first when um, when Harden um, was was traded, uh, and then also with um, with Durant now and 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 Kyrie, um, and they basically I, I think the Nets are uh, they're going to have a um, a kind of nondescript uh, kind of depressing uh, second half, um, and I think that um, they are. Uh, completely screwed in terms of their assets, um, and I think they have they, all a bunch of pick swaps with the Rockets right. going forward. Yeah, yeah. Um, and in terms of them being a a competitive team um, with a a bright competitive future, while the Knicks have a wide open um, slate in terms of we just need to keep building up, we need to keep building the culture, as 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 Chris was saying, um, the the Nets. Uh, just as an organization, they seem to have this tendency to go all in on on you know just uh, really ambitious um, uh, super teams, so to speak, uh, that don't mesh well, um, and it ends up collapsing in their face. Um, and and so I I also predicted when this would happen. I don't I usually don't like to be the guy. Oh, I predicted, but in 2021. When when January 2021, when the Nets got their their big three, I was saying to to Nets fans I knew at the time, I was saying this is going to be it's going to end up being a failure. It's going to end up being a massive failure. And people laughed at me and said, "Oh, they're going to win the championship. They're they're going to be like the Warriors." And the thing is, they're different from the Warriors because the Warriors built their team organically, mm-hmm. and the Knicks right now. Even if I'm I'm not saying in organization <laughs> we're comparing ourselves to the Warriors because right. we're not, but the Knicks are building their team organically right now. The Nets have not done that. They, they absolutely have not done that. Um, and there's few times when they've actually allowed themselves to build organically, like in 2019 when they had Dinwiddie, they had D'Angelo Russell. I love that team. I thought, you know, even as a Knicks fan, I thought that team was, was fun to watch. Right. Um, and then they, they kind of blew that up. Um, so I, I think um, the Nets – kind of they just need to batten down the hatches and just prepare for for more kind of dark times ahead um and if i'm the the gm if i'm the owner if i'm joe Sai, um i am not betting everything on players that are um controversial to begin with in terms of you know off the court and and their their chemistry but also um uh, these these players were over the age of 30 um and so for the Nets, they need to uh, avoid do- doing what they've been doing w- w- with these trades um, and-, and going all in. Um, and they just need to start small and um, not just this season, but but in the future and next season, uh, seasons beyond. Yeah, Chris. Yeah, I think, you know, like Ben was saying, they sent all of their they mortgaged their future to Houston. Mm-hmm. Now yeah. they have Phoenix's future. Yeah. So. I think, you know, GM Sean Marks got a lot of credit for uh, what he was able to recuperate once he tore down what happened in Brooklyn. But I think you also have to remember the deficit of assets they had going into that teardown because of the roster that they got. So, you know, it's not like they now have a a surplus of draft picks. They're back to square one. They're back to square (laughs) one. With a lot more drama in between. Right, exactly. To me, what Sean Marks has ahead of him is – a clean and simple job. 
You've got draft picks. You have so much talent to start with. Mm -hmm. You are starting with so much talent. If there was an expansion team that started with this much talent, I think they would be a contender in, in a, a matter of a couple of years. I mean, right. this is this is a fantastic like, roster yeah, to start with. But, well, but they can't they can't Johnson, make any yeah. stupid decisions again. They can't they can't do what they've been doing before. Um, just you know, just adding that on, they they can't uh, mess mess that what they've been given up from from the Suns. They they can't uh, blow that up again because then it's just going to be the same thing. Um, Sorry to interrupt, Chris. Yeah, I, I think you know the that draft picks are great until they have names next to them, right? right? And right. Th- they carry a lot of value until players are actually selected. And so the Nets have got to be careful what they do here. But I just think they've got such a great head start. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm genuinely excited to see where they build from here, where they move forward from here, because I think right now their option tree is very wide yeah. with branches. Oh. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I I think Sean Marks actually can take this team and build something real there in Brooklyn. I do think it'll take a couple of years, though, and yeah. it's not going to be something where, oh, this offseason, he should take a bunch of those picks and just get Carl Anthony Towns. Just right. no, nope. go, go get <laughs> not, someone. Cannot nope. jump the gun. Yeah. Learn yeah. from your mistakes. Yeah. Relax. Build it right, right and get to that point that you were at with D'Angelo Russell and then keep building the team. Build the that culture. D'Angelo Russell team has looked back on like the 72 Mets. They were a first round exit in five games <laughs> but, to but a team were, led by yeah. Ben Simmons. <laughs> what are we doing here with these? Right. Oh, the golden days of Brooklyn because they were dancing to Playboy Cardi on the bench. They weren't a good team and <laughs> right. they are looked back on as much better than they were just because of the vibes. The vibes, well, the chemistry, the, the culture. Vibe, the vibes were great, but the team wasn't that good. And so you need yeah. to look at Brooklyn and they need to learn from those mistakes. Mm-hmm. They need to get back to that situation where, oh, stars look at their team and they're comfortable going and joining that situation. Right. But you want to keep building it out. You want to build out the depth. You want right. to have better defense. You want to be more adapted for the modern game. Mm-hmm. Spencer Dinwiddie and D'Angelo Russell was really fun. Yeah. We got a lot of great TikTok edits out of that team. Very fun. Great but vibes. I think it's okay to leave it at that and right, not exactly. to pretend that – you know, D'Angelo is some MVP player right. or, you know, he's really good. He's but I think you're doing him a disservice by pretending that that team was something that they were. Absolutely. You built right now. The thing is that was a fun team. Very fun team. Great vibes. You got to bring the vibes, but you have to build a culture, build a sustainable culture. You can, as you mentioned, can't jump the gun. And I do like this roster going forward. I really do like I'm a huge Mikhail Bridges fan. I'm a Villanova fan. Been a huge Bridges fan forever. Wanted him on the Knicks. Cam Johnson, absolute sniper, big wing. Nick Claxton, one of the candidates for most improved and defensive player of the year this year, which we're going to talk about in a little bit. They got big wings. Their smallest guy in their starting lineup right now is 6'5". I feel like they have an identity. It's defense, defense, length, and more defense. Build that identity. Keep it going. Keep what what's going on right now is fun because they have no expectations. It's just vibes. House money. They're playing with house money. Any playoff wins, as you mentioned for the Knicks, same deal with the Nets. Obviously, they put themselves in a massive deficit in terms of how they're looked at nationally, just because of the KD, Kyrie, James Harden, Ben Simmons drama from the past yep. three years. There's a lot of damage control to be done. You build your image back up by building a good culture, building something solid to work with, and then you move forward for a couple of years. It's a marathon, not a sprint. So the Nets can recuperate what they, what they've done, but it's going to take a while. And I want to see how it plays out. I really want to see yeah. them take their time, build a good culture, build a good foundation, and then just move forward from here on out. Yeah. But let's go to more to the big scale things. We're going to headed toward the home stretch of the show today. We're 
we're going to go to the general NBA real quick. Obviously, a lot to talk about, but I want to go towards the early awards predictions. Ooh. Let's let's go toward a little MVP talk. You saw on the rundown the awards predictions. Let's start off with MVP real quick. Who are you guys' picks and why real quick? Chris, I'm going to start off with you. It's really tough, and I do not think. I think that in the second half of the season, a team like the Milwaukee Bucks will go on a run, mm-hmm. and Giannis will end up my MVP prediction. I like that. However, as of right now, yeah. Nikola Jokic is averaging a triple-double on the number one seed in the Western Conference. The Denver Nuggets are great, and they are great because Nikola Jokic does so much for them and opens so many things up for the talent on that team. As of today, my MVP pick is Nikola Jokic, but that is very subject and honestly probably likely to change. I can see it shifting to someone from the East, Mm -hmm. whether it be Tatum or Antetokounmpo or a dark horse of someone like Embiid Embiid, before the season ends. I agree. I um I think that uh, Jochik is um, the clear favorite right now, um, and I also think that's that's honestly, in my opinion, maybe the biggest surprise of this season is that it's if he wins the MVP this year, it'll be three straight seasons of dominance for him, um, and I think um, you know he he's been ha- he's have been having an incredible year, twenty four point seven points per game, eleven point five rebounds, ten point one assists per game. Um, and so I, I think he's the clear favorite for, for MVP. Um, I think um, for most improved, um, I mean, maybe this is part of uh, bias yeah. as a Knicks fan, but what do you guys think of Jalen Brunson? I think Brunson I, I mean, is a fair candidate. We're not going to go through all the awards because we're going to be running low on time, of course, but yeah. let's just go through most improved player. I think Brunson is a very fair candidate. Yeah. I think right now the favorite is Laurie Markkinen. I was going to say, yeah, we got to go yeah. with the, the Finn yeah. sharpshooter. Laurie Bird Lake himself. City. Laurie Bird. He, he had, like, what, 43 last night? Went absolutely bonkers against the Thunder in overtime win. I think Laurie's the favorite. I think Laurie, Brunson, a guy like Claxton is – in the conversation, I don't think he's going to win. Obviously, he deserves yeah. the shout. He deserves. He the also shout out. Does, yeah. should not win. I he think should not there win are, at There all. are always guys like that where yeah. you want to make sure they get some flowers. Definitely, but they don't need the whole bouquet. They can be in a little bit of the conversation. Keep them out of it yeah, at the keep, end of the keep day. Them at the keep them edge of the conversation. at a distance. But yeah, I think Laurie and Brunson are the clear two favorites. Maybe a guy like Shea Gilgis Alexander gets some shout too. I like the Brunson shout. I do fear though that the the you know just for your case here that the vote. The voters may look at Brunson and Markinen and say, "Well, Brunson went to a new team and got the ball a bunch. Markinen, you know, he really grew into his own. Like Brunson yeah. did this in the playoffs last yeah. year. We knew he could do this, even though those were the same people saying that it was an overpay yeah. for the Knicks to go get him. So yeah. I like that take from you, but yeah. I do think the voters may be a little embarrassed that they called Brunson an overpay yeah. and not want to call themselves. I personally love saying when I'm wrong and learning yeah. from it, but I don't know if the voters feel the same way. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Definitely. I think that." The most improved player is a very fun conversation to have. But since we're not going to go through all the awards, we're going to go through a couple of important ones just real quick. Defensive player of the year. I think that's a very hotly contested one. It could go many different directions. Chris, I'm going to start off with you. Who's your current defensive player of the year favorite, and who do you think is going to win? Okay. Right now, that is very tough. And it's because could go this, so many this award has kind of been a wash uh, the last couple of years, there's right. always one really clear favorite, and it's, it's Rudy, Rudy Gobert, Gobert right? But conversation this year, this year um, man, I know the NBA has Brooke Lopez, I think, number one on the ladder right now. Really? I thought, I, th- I thought it was like I, else. Yeah, I, a couple seasons a back, yeah. said 
Brooks should be DPOI and not Giannis that year. Yeah. Because what Giannis did was use his athleticism to funnel people to Brooks. And Brooks the weak yeah. side. It, it would be there. like t- giving uh, R.J. Barrett and Julius Randle credit for Mitchell Robinson's defense. Mm. And so I thought Brooks was the DPOI that year. Glad yeah. he's getting his flowers now. Mm-hmm. I've got a different pick. It's that very bad man out in Memphis, Ooh. Tennessee. J- Trip J. Jaron Jackson Jr. Fan of his. The, yeah. the stocks are off the charts this year. Steals plus blocks, just mm-hmm. nuts. I yeah. think to put He's it lightly. Yeah. And when you actually watch the games, the impact is ludicrous. I think he's one of those guys that doesn't rack up as many steals or blocks as he could, because guys don't even want to try him. Right. You know those, yeah. And those, he still leads yeah. those quarterbacks that you don't even want to throw to. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You don't even try him yeah. in the paint. So I, I think I think he's my DPOY. Yeah. I I um. You know, I, I love Jaron Jackson Jr., um, but he also he's played forty of fifty seven games this season. Um and, and I'm saying this as someone who, you know, I'm a Knicks fan, but I have respect for him, I have respect for the Grizzlies. Um but I actually my personal pick, uh I'm gonna go with Giannis Ooh, uh for defense player of the year. Um Giannis is the league leader in defensive win shares right now. And when players are guarded by Giannis, they shoot thirty eight percent. Um, and Ooh. that is far lower than than Jaron Jackson Jr. Um, or uh, Adebayo. Um, and you know, people might say that um, Giannis isn't averaging enough steals and and blocks. Um, but I think um, Giannis is um, an incredible defensive player right. um, in in his own right. Um, and I think maybe people sometimes o- overlook that and they just see him as you know on the offense of just, you know, driving to the basket, his athleticism. Um, but I, I would actually uh, go with Giannis. I mean, that may be um, a unpopular opinion. No, he's up, um, he's up there in the favorites. In the, yeah, yeah um, but I'm going with Giannis. Yeah, for, former DPOI, he's up there in the favorites. I think, you know, his impact on defense is, is fantastic. I, I do want to add some context to that stat you brought up because I think it's a good one to look at. Mm-hmm. I also think it's important to note that Giannis plays – in the paint a good deal as a weak side rim protector but he also plays out in the perimeter and so the shots that guys take against jaron jackson jr closer to the rim those are typically higher percentage shots so it makes sense that someone like Giannis would deter shooters from shooting well that's what he does but that percentage might be a little overstated because you know three-pointers don't go in as often as layups anyway right so i think that's a great stat but you also got to add context to those look at it from all angles but may, may i quickly add chris um in terms of when you talk about guarding on the perimeter, wouldn't that also be a case for for more impressive defense? Because in in my view, when you have a, a guard, and not saying that Giannis is a guard, but Michael Jordan, um, he was an incredible defender. Um, he he won Defensive Player of the Year, um, and and he was he was a guard. And I think that's very impressive when someone who's guarding on the perimeter is in the running for Defensive Player of the Year. And Giannis is, has been doing both. He's been doing in the paint, but also on the perimeter. So would that not maybe, uh, you could also say that, that could. Yeah, no, and it's um, definitely a credit to his uh, athleticism and, that he's yeah. able to switch out on the perimeter like that. But that's what's so special about Jaron Jackson Jr. He the fact that, that too, he's seven yeah. foot one, he can switch out onto the perimeter, stop you out there, block your three-point shot. Jaron Jackson Jr. is fantastic out on the perimeter, just like Antetokounmpo. Mm-hmm. And so... I don't think that that's an edge that either one of them has over the other. Yeah, yeah I think that um, I think Trip is probably my favorite right now. Jaron Jackson Jr. You mentioned all the stocks. Obviously, leads league in blocks per game, gets a, over a steal a game. He's amazing. I think another two guys I'm going to shout out are Bam Adebayo and Evan Mobley. 
I think Mobley's quickly flying up yeah. the rankings. Um, yeah. Leads the high, lowest defensive rating in the league for the teams. Uh, the Cavs and the Grizzlies are tied at that. Two of the best defenses in the league, obviously. Evan Mobley is, to me, their best defender. He is in that Giannis role right now. Playing out of his mind. Can switch. Play guard. I wouldn't say guard one through five, but he can. And is unbelievable at his job. Weak side rim protector. Gets to, very mobile. Very versatile. Love what he's doing out there. Bam Adebayo, spearheading the fourth best defense in the NBA, and we know what Bam is. Bam's unbelievable at what he does. I think before we wrap it up, before we wrap up today's show, we're going to talk about our early title predictions. I feel like it's not too early now. We're at the second half of the season. How are you guys feeling, Ben? I'm going to start off with you real quick. Who's your title prediction? Um, You know, I hate to say it as as uh, a Knicks fan, as a New York guy, but I think the Celtics are, are most likely uh, – going to win win it all this year I, I mean I think um you know they're they're a great team I, I think they're incredibly well coached um I I think um they have such a they they've been building this for for a long time as well um and uh they're eight and two in their last last 10 I don't see that slowing down um and uh, I think they're the best team in the east I think the Bucks may give them run for their money um but i think it's going to be um it's going to be celtics versus uh the nuggets in the finals um i know it's maybe kind of an orthodox prediction but i I think it's going to be the celtics probably in in six games maybe even in in five chris yeah i am going to stick with my preseason prediction um i had the clippers and the bucks i think both teams made trades at the deadline that yeah are enough to kind of sustain that. You know, the Bucks adding Jay Crowder, as you discussed mm-hmm. earlier. Yep. The Clippers, three additions in Highland, Gordon, Plumley that I like specifically, the, the, the Plumley and Gordon ones. And then, you know, I didn't think Highland was enough. Well, mm-hmm. that's all right, because they went out and got Russell Westbrook. So yep. uh, now they have some new additions to the team. Seems like they're going to be starting Westbrook. I'm not sure how that's going to fly. Yeah, I think we'll see if yeah. he buys into just dishing the ball. Remember, Paul George was top three in MVP voting the mm-hmm. year he played with, right. with Russ in OKC. Also, remember, Russ is not that same guy anymore. So I think there's a lot going on there, but going to stick with the Clippers versus the Bucks, And I'm going to take Milwaukee to win this year. I think Giannis goes and chips up for time number two. I like that. I, um, I can see that happening, honestly. The Clippers, I think they're trending upwards big time, first of all. I do think they're at Russ. I talked to a couple friends about this today. I think that Russ fits in with the Clippers way 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 better than he does with the lakers i think if as long as he knows his role bring defensive intensity bring leadership and just pass the ball get a couple buckets here and there but just be a playmaker i think as 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 long as russ buys in i really do think that the clippers are dangerous they finally get a point guard who can settle settle them down from playing iso ball all the time kind of what do you call it dish the rock and kind of slow the tempo down obviously you know we know russ likes to speed up the tempo but as long as you can slow it down sometimes yeah, just make the right just reads. make the right reads and play his role i think the clippers are arguably the most dangerous team out west i'm i want to go with celtics um nuggets but you like, think the nuggets are maybe only a regular season team it's not about that- the nuggets it's about the celtics i do mm-hmm. want to go with the bucks nuggets i think I want to see a finals with Giannis versus Jokic. The two, to me, the two best players in the NBA, with, without a shadow of a doubt. Both unbelievable what they do. I really like the way both rosters are constructed. I want to see Nuggets Bucks in the finals, and I think that's a very real possibility. That's my pick. But that will do it for today's edition of Pick and Pod. First one of the second half of the NBA season. It's been a great show with you guys today. 
For Ben Hopp, Oppenheimer, and Chris Percy Einan, I'm Tyler Hill.